Hello and welcome to Just Enough Doctorate to Perform, the podcast where exciting and superb research meets unscripted, improvised comedy material. And that's highly appropriate, because our guest today is an expert in materials, or at least of the chemical type. As I'm delighted to say, we're joined by material chemist, teaching fellow at the University of Surrey, and science blogger for Forbes magazine, it's Dr. Suze Kundu. Suze, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Suze, uh, let's begin with uh, a little bit about your career. So, can you tell us, what is a material chemist? A materials chemist is somebody that kind of straddles science and engineering. So, we do all the poking and prodding of all the stuff, and we find awesome properties of a material or a compound, a substance, anything, and find awesome applications for the fun properties that we find. Awesome. Now, it did say on your Forbes Science profile that you're a lover of stuff, and you just alluded to stuff. So I wondered, in, in the broader, grander scheme of things, what do you consider the right stuff, and what equally is the wrong stuff? I think all materials are brilliant. Every material has inherently awesome properties that help it serve the purpose that it's been chosen to serve. So this chair is, is made of metal and plastic. Suze is sitting on a chair for our podcast I, listeners. Yes, <laughs> great for radio. Um, so... <laughs> So the plastic is relatively cool on quite a warm day, it can be moulded, it's reasonably sturdy to hold my cake-loving bottom, um, and equally, you know, that the steel is also very sturdy and it helps to even out the weight of said cake. Um, and so all of these things, while they may feel quite mundane to most people, are actually awesome because everything is made of stuff that has perfect properties for it. Now when you say right stuff and wrong stuff, I think with science and engineering, everything that's used for good can always be used for evil, mm -hmm. but you know, hopefully we'll keep that to the confines of comic books and not real life <laughs> as much as we can. Well thank you for dealing with my ambiguous question, but um, Suze will be well and truly strutting her stuff today, as uh, you're making your improvised comedy debut, am I right? I am, I've done some stand-up, which is, I've had time to think about that, so this is all going to be on the fly and terrifying. Indeed, <laughs> on the fly is what it is all about, but well Welcome to our podcast and thanks for joining us, Suze. <laughs> thanks for having me. So, joining me as ever on the podcast is our regular science expert, Dr. Radu Spurrier, as well as member of Improvised Comedy Group, Left Foot First member, Johnny Bryars. Hello, Radu and Johnny. Hi. Hello. Thanks for pronouncing my name right this that's, episode, Mark. That's okay. So, uh, let's start with you, Radu. Um, now, your field of expertise is obviously electronic engineering, um, but did chemistry ever appeal to you? Yes, a bit. And then not that much because it was taken over by uh, electronic engineering. But yes, chemistry actually um, is absolutely vital for all of the devices that we're making these days in electronics of all descriptions. Perhaps we'll talk about it a bit later. Okay. Now, Suze talked about materials, and uh, behind all materials are compounds and elements. So do you have a favorite element, and why? Um, these days, it has to be carbon because it's getting all the good press. Ah, so, Ask me on a different day. So basically your choice revolves around the PR worthiness of the element. <laughs> and citations. Okay. <laughs> a real academic right there. Well, thank you, Radu, and welcome. And uh, Johnny, uh, a question for you. Did you ever have any uh, chemistry experiment disasters when you studied chemistry at school? Uh, no disasters. Um, I don't know if you guys had this, but in my labs we had uh, gas taps. We're always told not to play with them unless we're doing experiments with them. But actually, normally, if you did turn them on, nothing would happen. Because unless they were set up for the experiments, they wouldn't be activated anyway. So one time, my friend grabbed my pencil case and put it over the gas tamp and turned it on, <laughs> thinking nothing would happen. But some sputtering liquid came out of it and soaked my pencil case. 
He was very apologetic, but uh, that's the closest I've had to a chemistry accident. Did you get a new pencil case? No, actually, I just gave it a rinse. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I'm sure that's perfectly safe. Well, welcome, Johnny. Well, are you not going to ask me what my favourite element is? Well, now you've asked the question, I feel obliged to do that. So what is your favourite element? The element of surprise. Ah, a, a real improviser. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that isn't in the periodic table, but we'll let you off on this occasion. <sighs> Fantastic. Well, let's move on to our uh, first science section. Now, they do say good things come to those who wait, which is ironic as we race red-faced and merrily into the first science section of our show and ask the question, how do you pour a perfect pint of Guinness? Now, Suze, this was the subject of one of your recent Forbes magazine blogs, and I understand that much like an excited child at bath time, it's all about the bubbles. It is indeed all about the bubbles. It's about the size of the bubbles, and it's about what those bubbles are made of. Fantastic. So I guess the reason we're discussing this is that actually, although having a beer at the pub might seem like a simple pleasure, um, getting it exactly right every time is actually a form of process engineering. And that takes place everyone, uh, every time someone pours a pint of Guinness. But now we've committed to this topic, uh, like a rowdy rugby team drinking game, let's see it off and go through the six steps that Guinness themselves say are needed to pour the perfect pint of Guinness. Other drinks are of course available, but Suze, let's walk through uh, the six steps. Uh, Radio and Johnny, feel free to jump in with any science or indeed any stories you might have from drinking too much Guinness. Um, but step one, the branded glass. The branded glass is really important because it has a couple of features that enable you to pour the perfect pint. Now this is obviously if you are a bartender or if like me you were lucky enough to pop into the Guinness storehouse in Dublin and have a go yourself in the home of Guinness. So the reason that the glass is important is that it tapers from the top to the bottom so it's narrower at the base than it is at the top. It also has a harp logo um, just a couple of inches uh, down from the rim of it and that's really important for the next stage. So it isn't just marketing, there's actually features of the glass which are very important to the overall taste of the said poured pint of Guinness. Yes, so the taste and the look of it, Mm. the aesthetics that you get from it, from this perfect sort of monochrome pint of stuff that you're going to drink, only really comes from a tapered glass. If you did the same in a straight glass or an inverted tulip glass where the, uh, the top is narrower than the base, you don't get the same effects. I see. Now, second stage on the list of Guinness-approved stages is the angle of the pour. Yep, so the angle of the pour has to be 45 degrees. So you take your Guinness-branded glass and you hold it with the small harp logo away from you and you tilt it away 45 degrees as you angle it under the tap. And this is when you start to pour. So you start to pour by pulling the tap towards you at full force. Amazing. Okay, stage three, fill to the harp. Presumably not... Uh, a random musical implement which happens to be nearby you, that would be the one on the glass. <laughs> the one on the glass. So you need to angle the flow of the Guinness onto this harp, and as you do so, as it's filling up at full force, it will go tumbling to the base of the glass, but it will go through this 45 degree angle. And this kind of partly preserves some of the bubbles that are formed, but also helps them to sort of flow. It's, it's directing them to the base of the glass. So there's loads of carbon dioxide stored in liquid form under pressure, mm-hmm in this liquid Guinness that is pouring through this tap. So in the kegs, it's all under pressure, there are no bubbles inside it. As it's agitated, as it comes flowing out from the tap and hits the glass, these bubbles start to nucleate. And so they come crashing out solution in these form of, of bubbles. Now these bubbles are actually made of nitrogen, and this is why you get very tiny bubbles being formed. Okay, 
that's amazing. So those are the three steps. And I'm impressed how you trotted those off. Obviously, a Guinness <laughs> fan right there. Uh, now, stage four is the settle. Now, we're going to settle for a moment because Radu and Johnny, you look really sheepish. And it's almost like you've got some stories about drinking too much Guinness you haven't told us about or are too embarrassed to share. And obviously, it's my job as the uh, the lead person on the show to put you on the spot. So... You know, we want all. We want all the goss. I just wanted to say that I don't like Guinness. Right. But I do love a world record. <laughs> I think this will go down in the record books as one of the greatest podcast episodes. <laughs> Roddy, any, any Guinness stories to share? None. None at all? No. Okay. I'm not a very um, big fan of beers in general. Um, some bits of my anatomy don't really get along, I suppose, with that particular type of alcohol. Okay, well, you know, St. Patrick's Day in, you, in your guys' house must be a really, like, you know, a, a sorry affair. <laughs> anyway. you, Mark? Would you, try, would you try and pour the perfect pint after this? Oh, well, I'm learning how. This is great. Excellent. You know, I will know. Excellent. I uh, think the pair of you should also try it. Oh, absolutely. For the sake of science. I love Indeed. pouring things, just not drinking. Cakes. Oh, well. Absolutely. Oh, you, oh, I think we should be friends. <laughs> <laughs> but we've done a lot of pouring, but in stage four, which are on, the settle, uh, the settle has to be precisely 119.53 seconds. It does indeed. I'm not making that up. That no, is an actual stat. That is the actual stat. So we have been pouring um, and filling our pint glass up to the heart. Mm -hmm. So once the level gets to the heart, we go from 45 degrees, to, degrees mm. to very slowly bringing it to standing. And this is when you pop your almost full pint of Guinness that at the moment looks a kind of light brown swirly colour. Mm. Swirly, that's the technical <laughs> science term there, swirly. Um, you settle, it settles. Yes. So you pop it on a counter and you watch. And as you watch, you will notice that there are bubbles, these tiny nitrogen mm. bubbles, that are defying the laws of, of gravity. Now, I know that sounds funny because we think of gravity as pulling things towards the ground, but we know that bubbles tend to rise in a liquid because mm. they're less dense. However, if you look at a, a pint of Guinness that is in its settling stage, you'll notice that the bubbles are actually going down. Ah. Now this is again because of the fact that these bubbles are made of nitrogen. They make a smaller bubble than carbon dioxide, which you would find in most lagers. Okay. So you see bubbles in a lager floating upwards quite rapidly and fizzing on the top and creating that sort of frothy, foamy head. Yep. In Guinness, they go down before they float back up again. So because they're such tiny, tiny bubbles, there's a sort of current that is flowing within your pine glass. So the bubbles are actually rising, but they're rising in the center of the bottom of the glass. Oh. And they're rising at such a rapid rate that as they rise up, they're creating a sort of area where there's a, a sort of lack of bubbles. And this is why the bubbles around the side of the glass are sort of pulled towards, and it creates this current. So yeah. we can see from the outside that the bubbles are surging downwards. They're actually floating up eventually. And so in this 119.53 seconds, they separate out into this really dense foam at the top because of these tiny nitrogen bubbles and this much darker liquid underneath. And that's where you get your classic monochrome pint of Guinness. But it's not quite a pint yet. Ah, so the uh, the famous Guinness advert with the the horses running across the what is the pint effectively is actually not too far from the truth because there is a current of yep. Guinness in that advert. There Amazing. is indeed. It's a really sort of beautiful, turbulent flow, but it's absolutely gorgeous to watch. I do actually have a story about Guinness at this point, which I'll trot out. Which is the first time I buy uh, I bought a pint of Guinness, I didn't know about the settle stage. So I, in my naivety, had a go at the barman for. For, for, for not pouring my pint quickly enough <laughs> and was uh, 
subsequently berated for not being patient enough. And now I know that I was wrong and that barman <laughs> had a point. And uh, yeah, I'll just have to get over it and accept <laughs> that I was wrong all those years ago. So moving on to stage five, that's the top up. So we've now settled the pint and we're yes. now topping up. Yes. So as I said, it's not quite a pint yet because we stopped pouring mm. at the sort of the point where we'd reached the hop. So you have about an inch of space at the top of this pint of Guinness, this pint glass. It's not quite full yet. Now, since we've taken the 119.53 seconds to create this beautiful, dense head at the top of it, you don't really want to be breaking those bubbles down. And so to top it up, what Obama needs to do is holding the glass vertically, place it under the tap and push the tap away. Now, you get a much reduced force of flow, which doesn't disrupt the bubbles, but it tops the pint up enough so that the Guinness should, it should sit just proud of the top of the pint glass. And it should do so because this foam in the head is so dense, so frothy. And that is your perfect pint, which is when you get to stage six. Which is more straightforward than probably the rest of them, which is to enjoy the perfect pint. It is indeed, and it is my favourite stage, I think. (laughs) We're all capable of doing that, unless you're Johnny and Riley who don't like Guinness. (laughs) And, uh, you know, que sera sera in that case. (laughs) That was more for us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, having produced a perfect pint, I think it's time to celebrate with our first improv game of the podcast. Hooray! Which today is Director's Cut. In this game, I will play the director, and my Hollywood A-list stars, Johnny, Radu, and Suze, will act out an improvised scene for me. When I call cut, however, I will ask our superstar actors to replay the scene, but with some extra changes requested by me, the director. So, as we've been talking about the science behind a good pint of Guinness, I'd like to see our scene set in a distillery. So, Radu, Johnny, and Suze, an improvised scene set in a distillery. Take it away. Okay. <clears throat> Here we have the finest beer in the world. Many people say it's not, but I made it myself, and personally I believe that it is the best. So uh, that's why I think you should pick me as the winner of this competition. Thank Could you. we at least taste it first? Oh, oh, you want to taste the beer? Personally, I think the beer is best experienced as something you look at from a distance. Um, just because some people have felt ill after drinking it. Well, you know, I would argue for this. I mean, gin has got away with this kind of reputation for years. Mm -hmm. I say we take a chance on this beer. Yeah. Could you at least show it to us first, now that you mentioned it? I would recommend that you get at least 30 paces away before I show it to you. Uh, Some people have gone blind after looking at it, but personally I believe it's because it's that beautiful. You say beautiful. Mm-hmm. Could you explain the glowing effect of it? Uh, explain how? The, uh, how nice it looks? Or more to the point, why it's glowing? Oh, personally, I don't actually know. Um, it might be something to do um, with the plutonium that I dropped in there. Uh, but I don't really know much about that. I kind of just experiment and then, yeah. I recommend safety goggles as well, actually. Have you provided those? Have you brought those yourselves? And I believe a lead-lined lab coat was also on the list yes. of requirements. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've got everything. Shall we get cracking with this? We we really need to establish the winner. Okay, uh, I would also recommend you put pegs over your noses just in case uh, you go nose blind. I don't know what so that this is an called. Extra sensory experience. Absolutely, for sure. And also, if you brought earplugs, just in case. No, nothing. It doesn't normally make noise, but just in case. I don't know. Could we just check this with our lawyers before we... Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and scene. Wow. 
that was a plutonium field pint for our improv enjoyment. Okay, well, I've called cut because I'm the director and that's my job, but uh, it's also my job to incorporate new features into the scene. So I would like to see the re- uh, I'd like to see the scene replayed, but um, Johnny, I would like to see your ca- uh, character have more of a resemblance to Michael Caine. Okay. So That's same fine scene. I can actually do a good. Well, I'm, I'm pleased about that. <laughs> it's, it's been requested. <laughs> so uh, action, take it away, guys. Well, hello. My name is Michael Caine, and here at the, the distillery, uh, we have the most amazing drink in the world. I think you'll agree, and I think uh, you should crown me the winner. Now, before we start tasting, is this you triple parked outside with your minis? Because we do have a problem. We are expecting others. It is, I'm afraid. Um, uh, yeah, sorry about that, but it's my place, so uh, yeah, sorry, you have to deal with it. Right, well, we'll just have to tell crew. Yeah, it's fine. Have you brought anything in particular in the minis, or is it just for for show? Um, there's gold in some of them. Was I in that movie? Yes, I was. <laughs> That's the same movie, correct? Never mind. Uh, what else have I been in? <laughs> you only forgot to blow the bloody doors off! Oh, thank you. That's my assistant there, Jeremy. He's doing some other experiments around the corner. Um, Speaking of experiments, let's uh, let's get to this beer then. Yeah, uh, I think you should name me the man who should be king, uh, because I've got the best beer here in the world. Um, but please do not drink it, or uh, you will it will burn off your tongue. Uh, you may feel ill. Um, I wouldn't recommend that. Also, please do not look at it unless you've brought your goggles. Have you got the goggles? Michael, sorry to interrupt here, but what's happened to your East End accent? <laughs> Jeremy, sorry. It's, it's hard to keep it up sometimes. Uh, actually, it's mostly for show in movies. Directors like me to do it. Oh, okay, well, all right, thanks for clarifying. Jeremy out. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Gotta love that guy. Good friend. Loyal. Loyal. Any further questions about the beer? Just wondering whether the flavour of the beer is as flaky as your accent. I don't know how a flavour can be flaky, but uh, I think that was very funny. But as I have said before, please do not drink it. Or look at it, or smell it. Correct. So what would you like us to do with it? Uh, if you could just crown me the winner, I'll be out here. Right. There's police and parking people on the door. We'd better do something about it. Maybe you could fob them off with your glowing beer. Jeremy, sorry to interrupt, but Batman's outside. You're Jeremy. Oh, crap. <laughs> Where is he? Oh, my God, he's here. It's back. It's the Wayne. <laughs> okay. And so- <laughs> Wait, I wanted to hear Bane. Well, you did briefly allude to Bane. Briefly. Uh, well, that was fantastic. And oh, as a director, Batman. I was pleased. <laughs> I was pleased with the additions, uh, but I do feel there is scope for this to be improved. Um, so, I would like to see the scene replayed again. Uh, I'd like to keep Michael Caine, but mm. I'd like to see more of an Irish romance story blossoming between Radu and Susie's characters. So um, that's what we're aiming for. An Irish romance. An Irish, well we're in Guinness, we're, you know, we're talking about Guinness, oh, yeah. we're in a distillery. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, you know, presumably you're going to adopt Irish accents. To be sure. Oh, there we go, <laughs> look at that. I can't wait to hear Radu's. I'm in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would like to see that, so uh, action, take it away. Hello everyone, it's me Michael Caine again. Top of the morning to you. Hello. Hey. Nice to see you guys. Uh, so here's the best beer in the world. I think you should name me the winner of your competition. Um, what do you think? For a while, would you say that? Well, it's, it's the best beer in the world. Show me, prove it. Uh, well, actually, I don't think you should look at it. 
uh, you might go blind. Ugh, I'll drink anything. Give me a beer. <laughs> Are you sure about this? Oh, to be sure. Give me the beer. It might kill you. I'm just saying. Roddy? <laughs> um, I'm just looking through the dictionary at what people normally say here, but you can't really drink it. You can't look at it. What can you do with it? Oh, he's a softie. He's from Cork. Give me the beer. <laughs> All right, if you must. <laughs> Try a sip of it, but I should warn you, not many have survived this. It's Jeremy, isn't that the love potion, Michael? Oh, no. <laughs> not again. You give them the love potion. Oh, dear God. Oh, Begari, you're a love. Oh. <laughs> um, what do we do now? Well, there's a mini park outside. Can you run away? Insane. That was fantastic. And, and I've got to say what a brilliant accent that was by Suze. That fantastic. was unexpected. I'm sorry, I veered slightly from Liam Neeson to Nadine Coyle. Well, um, it was all encompassing. Well, apologies, Ireland, North and South. <laughs> it's okay. Between <laughs> us, we've done all right. We've covered all bases there. So, brilliant. I think we're going to play this once more. Oh, really? Uh, because it's going so well. And we're going to keep my game. We're going to keep the Irish romance. Sure. Um, but Radu, your character is going to have a phobia of machinery, which is unfortunate <laughs> as you work in a distillery. So uh, that's the parameters. Uh, let's take it away. Action. Hello, everybody. Once again, it's me, Michael Kane. Uh, I think I have the best beer in the world. Um, I think you should try some. Uh, most people will not survive drinking it. But uh, you seem so Irish that I think you should try it. Oh, I mean, you know, we we do like a drink. Okay, well, here you go. No, Ren, you're just a... Where are you going? Where are you um, going? Come I'm, back. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that big vat right here, because that's, that's trouble. <laughs> that's no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Good as a large it? thermos. Yeah, come on, come closer. You'll be fine. Is Jeremy. Oh, sorry, Michael, it's Jeremy. Oh, hi, Jeremy. I've got, I've got that uh, problem where I confuse myself again. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, we've got that four times size of that that you requested. Shall I just give it to Radu then? Oh, yeah, Radu will take yeah, it. Yeah, Radu will take care of it then. No way. Guys, come on, seriously, you know I have a problem with this. Oh, Radu, grab the vat. Come on, Radu. <laughs> Why would anyone say that to anyone else? Um, can- I've got to sign for this delivery, Michael. Is it Radu who's going to sign for it or not? Uh, yeah, go on, Radu, sign for it. Do me a favour. There's no way. I mean, you know, this is my my thing that I don't do. This and leave us. terrified. Have the beer. That'll sort you Yes, let's have a go. Oh, wait. That was the love potion. Oh, my God. He's falling in love with the machinery. (laughs) That's some nice cogs right there. (laughs) Insane. (laughs) Wow. Well, that was director's cut. Thank you very much to my Hollywood A-list actors. Please watch out anyone who is thinking about Hollywood because we've got three superstars right here. (laughs) Right, so let's move on to the second science section of the show where we're looking at another subject in your blog, Suze, um, which is nature-inspired engineering. So, Suze, can you give us a quick introduction to this topic and why it appeals to you as a scientist? Lots of the engineering that's going on at the moment is inspired by nature. Now, you may not really think it because we think of things in nature as being kind of old hat. It's all been around for millions of years. But actually, we are looking to nature to solve a lot of our problems. So one of the examples is the area of research that I work in, which is artificial photosynthesis. So... I'm effectively looking at plants as inspiration because plants have been able to capture solar energy and create a fuel for millions of years. So they capture sunlight energy and they make glucose and Mm. they use that to fuel themselves for respiration, to grow and to make other compounds. 
Because obviously plants can't eat unless they're mm. in Rocky Horror. <laughs> so um, that's sort of one example. Now, I'm not trying to make glucose, but I'm actually using an area of that to, um, to, to kind of copy the mechanism through which we can use a material that can capture sunlight energy and use that to split water to make hydrogen and oxygen and store the hydrogen for use as a fuel. Um, but that's not the only way that we're using nature as inspiration for lots of engineering. Um, I have non-Newtonian ballet shoes, which can be sort of loosely inspired by things like quicksand, which is a material um, that is non-Newtonian. So it's something that kind of disobeys the normal yeah. rules of physics and mechanics. It kind of misbehaves. It changes thickness depending on the pressure that's being applied to it um, or the amount of pressure over time that's being applied to it. Um, and there's also things like um, uh, so geckos, for example, are amazing creatures that can defy gravity they don't just walk up a wall but they can hang off a ceiling but they don't use any kind of glue they don't leave a sticky residue behind they actually use um, a sort of tiny but mighty force which is a tiny static force um, from these tiny hairs that are on their feet and so when these are in contact with a ceiling or a wall there's a really tiny attraction now one of these little forces isn't going to be enough to hold a gecko on a ceiling but there's a whole army of thousands and thousands of these tiny hairs and so they act together to create such an adhesive force that actually a gecko could weigh sort of nine times the amount of an average gecko and it would still Amazing. be able to grip wow. onto that ceiling and so scientists have commercialized these sort of tiny hairs and they've engineered sticky tape that can mm. sort of stick in wet and dry oh. conditions and um, just by using the same kind of mm. mechanics behind it amazing really amazing stuff. I guess to fully appreciate the topic, um, we should perhaps introduce gently the concept of nanostructures and nanotexturing. Um, and this is an area of science which is particularly prevalent in um, electronic engineering, Radu, which is obviously your field, uh, and is also applied to things like microchips and microsensors, am I right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it depends what you call it and where it gets applied, but mm. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, just to start with, perhaps, the idea of, of um, things being made the way nature makes them, mm. right? So this bio-inspired, nature-inspired things. Um, as Sue said, it's m a lot more prevalent than you'd think. Mm. Um, in electronics these days, the philosophy is that we'd be making stuff from the ground up. So, so far, we've been effectively drilling and taking things out to yep. make our electronics. These days, we're looking at making things from the bottom up, molecules, composing different structures, and so on. So that's, um, that's one of the aspects. When you're talking about nanotechnology and nanotexturing, I'll give you another one which is very close to, to what Sue said. Um, solar cells, again. Normally, the solar cell would have a piece of glass onto which it sits, and light has to pass through that glass to reach the active materials to generate the electricity. But as we know, if you look into any shop window, you're going to get some sort of reflection. So some of the light hitting the solar cell is getting reflected. So you can't really use it. Hmm. By using nanostructures on the glass or inside the glass or somewhere in the structure, you can change the, uh, the absorption of the whole structure and capture more of the light in and be more efficient that way. And again, we're talking about structures that are thousands of times smaller than any visible structure or roughness. Well, a very nice example of this in the natural world, which you allude to in your blog, Suze, is uh, moth eyes, mm -hmm. which uh, are patterned at the nano level to have a structure that allows light to be funneled into the moth's eye in very dark and low light conditions. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I believe that's inspired some research at the University of Surrey around sort of graphene. Yeah. So graphene is a great material and we can engineer it to capture a certain amount of light. But by actually engineering the structure of it on a nanoscale and a microscale, we can use the moth size as inspiration to capture as much light as possible and making it more efficient um, and losing as little light as possible. So moths fly about in very low light conditions and they these beautiful structures in their eyes enable them to get not just gather the light but actually sort of funnel it in to their eyes so they actually make the most of the very little light that is available. By using that as inspiration we can then create materials that can capture as much sunlight energy as possible creating more efficient photovoltaics, materials that can capture sunlight energy and convert that into electricity. Moths and butterflies generally are a huge source of inspiration for a range of what we call sort of these micro and nano structures. So there's a great area of research called structural coloration, which is how you can engineer a material, um, again on this nano scale and micro scale, change the shape and structure of these materials and the size of them on that tiny scale to reflect certain amounts of light and certain wavelengths of light. So an example is a blue butterfly, which isn't actually coloured blue with a pigment. It looks blue because of the micro and nano structure on the wings that reflect this intense blue light that actually absorbs the rest of it. Amazing. And the benefits of light absorbency through nature could filter, presumably, into the future of electronic engineering, Radu, and uh, potentially, I guess, things like smart windows and smart wallpaper. There's a lot of talk about uh, capturing every bit of stray light. So we're in this room, it's not that well lit, but let's face it, a lot of the light that's hitting the walls is just being lost. So if you could have a very efficient low light energy converter that would get this light and convert it into small amounts of electricity, arguably, um, but on enormous areas, say most walls and, and floors and things like that, uh, that would be a good source of um, energy. And it's, it's exactly the same principle, right? So we're trying to, to capture as much of the light and convert it efficiently to electricity. Fantastic. Well, nature may well be inspiring engineering, but it's also the inspiration for our next improv game, which is called Half-Life. In this game, Radu, Johnny and Suze will act out a one-minute scene, which uh, they must then replay, but in only half the time available. Each time the scene is replayed, the available amount of time is halved. So, Radu, Johnny and Suze, your starting word is nature, and you have one minute to depict a scene uh, inspired by the word nature. <clears throat> Take it away. Hello. Um, my name is Nature. Uh, my parents were hippies. Um, I've been bullied my entire life. People think I have a funny name. Okay, cut. Cut. Um, mm -hmm. Now, now, Nature, lovely to meet you. And um, The problem is, when we briefed David Attenborough here yeah. on, on this show, mm -hmm. this wasn't really what we were hoping for. Mm -hmm. David, mm -hmm. where would you like to go with this? This is highly unnatural. So my name is Nature? Yes, or at least a bit strange. Okay, um, David, I'm going to have to stop you there now. BBC Policy says that we, we don't bully... Um, we don't harass. Obviously, Nature here has okay. already said that uh, right. that's something he's been subjected to. And yeah. um, where can we take this, We chaps? can observe. So nature. we are going to be observing nature. Nature. Nature, are you okay with this? Yeah, I think so. Okay then, off you go on your daily business. 
David's just going to commentate your life. Okay, that sounds great. And still, <laughs> amazing. That was incredible. Well, I really enjoyed that, and I'm looking forward even more to seeing that scene replayed in just 30 seconds. So, guys, same scene again, but in 30 seconds, starting now. Hello, my name is Nature. My parents were hippies. I've been bullied my entire life. Yeah, that's great, Nature. Right, David, what can you uh, do with this? Well, this is highly irregular. I think we should be observing nature rather than meddling with his problems. Nature, are you okay if we just watch and commentate on your life? My, so I just go around the shops and things? Yeah. And get yeah. Commentary. And scene! That was 30 <laughs> seconds. Very good. Okay, well, same thing again. But this time you have just 15 seconds to um, repeat that scene in a more limited time frame. So let's see it again in 15 seconds, starting now. Hello, my name is Nature. Everyone hates me. Yeah, yeah, Nature. Life's tough. David, name. what can we do with this? Probably observe from a safe distance. <laughs> Nature, I mean, we're just going to follow and watch. Are you okay with that? I guess so. So is this for a TV show or...? Did he not get <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now it's getting really hard because we're down to just seven and a half seconds. Okay, so guys, when you're ready, three, two, one, go. Hi, my name's Nature Rainforest. That's and great. Like David, can you quickly like tell well, us what we're going to do with this? Um, <laughs> Probably observe. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> right on the money. Okay, now we're into really dangerous territory. We're at 3.25 seconds. Given the nature half right. of Half-Life, this is really tough. <laughs> <even after. laughs> All right, so just over three seconds, guys, and go. Hi, I'm Nature. Nice David, to watch him. Okay. Stop. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I feel it would be rude not to go down to 1.25. That would be rude. <laughs> we're, we're just over one now. We're just over one seconds. And go. Nature. Start watching. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Impressive. That was Half-Life, performed for you by Radu, Suze and Johnny. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Mark. Well, we've now drunk and engineered our way to our final section of the show, which today is the improvised builder game. Now, in this game, Johnny is a builder, and has been joined on his lunch break by fellow builder Suze. The challenge for Suze is to drop five complex sounding science terms from her research into the builder-based conversation. And to make things a little trickier for Suze, she has to offer the five words as though they were a wise philosophical proverb in a sentence beginning, it's like they say about. So before we start the game, let's quickly look at the five co uh, complex sounding science terms that Suze has chosen. So uh, Suze, the first term you've chosen is metamaterial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pray tell us about metamaterial briefly. Okay, so metamaterials are materials that do not exist in nature, who we met earlier. Oh. <laughs> um, metamaterials meta are highly engineered materials that again have generally been engineered on the micro and nano scale structurally um, appropriately so that they can fit certain properties and certain purposes so they will do crazy things like they're able to make things invisible by bending certain wavelengths of visible light around them um, and things like that they're, Very cool. uh, they're basically they're sort of highly adaptable materials okay and the second term we've got is aerogel an aerogel is a material that's 98 to 99% air by volume. It's like a solid jelly where you replace the water component with air. So there's loads of tiny air pockets in this thing. So it's really light, but incredibly low in density. Fantastic. Next on the list is Q-carbon. Q 
Q-carbon is a really fun new allotrope of carbon. So it's tougher than diamond. Oh. And it has some of the bonding that diamond has and some of the bonding that carbon has, so, um, of graphite. So all these things are made of carbon, but it's the arrangement of the carbon atoms that gives them these different properties. And Q-carbon has basically ramped up the strength by being a, a mishmash of the two. Brilliant stuff. Two to go. Triboluminescence. Triboluminescence is a material that releases light um, when you break chemical bonds in it. So you can get great effects if you, sounds odd but bear with me, take some polo mints or some sugar um, or a, a sticky envelope into a very dark place like a, a toilet with no windows or in the dark um, and very quickly unpeel the envelope or some sellotape would work as well. Very quickly strip away some of the sellotape and you will see light where these chemical bonds are actually breaking. Same if you break a polo in the dark which obviously everybody's done, um, or if you smash some sugar as well, you get the same effect. It's light coming off something when you break its chemical bonds physically. Wow, that is very, very cool. I will be trying the polo experiment later. <laughs> and final on the list is uh, piezoluminescence. Yeah, so piezoluminescence is a sort of similar method um, of creating light from nothing, but it's actually when you deform a material. So you're not breaking the bonds as such, but you are manipulating material, and as you do so, it releases light. Well, that's great. We've got our five terms there, uh, which we've been introduced to. Uh, so I'm going to pass those to Sue, uh, Zeus, who's got them for the purposes of the game. So every time Sue says one of these, I will make a sound effect to indicate a successful introduction of the term. An unsuccessful introduction of the term will be marked by this noise. Uh -uh. And uh, a successful introduction will be ding. High budget sound effects here on Just Enough Dr. <laughs> Dr. Uh, in which case, Suze, um, we will uh, begin, I think. So, uh, the builder game, please, take it away. All right, Suze, how's the building going today? All right, Johnny, you got a tough job on at the moment? Oh, yeah, drilling, drilling all day. Oh, he got to work around all that tricky stuff. Well, you know what they say, it's like metamaterials. Mm-hmm. Well, you not heard that? What's the next bit? Well, basically, you know, you've got to work with what you got. You've got to adapt, got to be adaptable. That's interesting, that's good stuff. I hear you working with Dave. I mean, he's not all there, is he? He's not a smart guy, Dave. Nah, it's like, it's like they say, you know, it's a, he's a bit like aerogel, isn't he? Oh, just like aerogel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How so? Well, you know, he's not very dense. I mean, he's, he's not, no substance. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they call him not dense Dave, actually. Not, not dense, not dense Dave. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, less laughing on the building site. It's a Sorry. Serious, serious place of work. I always forget that. My name's Jeremy. I'm a callback. <laughs> oh, hi, Jeremy. <laughs> what did you say? You're a callback. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Is that a building term? Uh, no, it's uh, it's a reference. I need to call back on some work. Oh, okay. I'm waiting for my client to get back to me. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you on your lunch break. Oh, clients. Always yeah. at mercy of clients. It's tough, isn't it? It is you know, tough. Like I say, it's like a like Q carbon. Mm. Yeah, super super tough. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a simple one, that one. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> oh well, you know, it's like what I say about triboluminescence. Got to make light of a of a tough situation. Exactly. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, got to uh, got to uh, got to bend to uh, to people's demands. Oh, like, absolutely. Uh, you know, releasing energy when required. Bending yeah. like piezoluminescence. <laughs> <laughs> Ding! <laughs> Oh, you left us hanging there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to bring out the uh-uh, but there was no yeah. need because they were all successful, so five out of five. Well, um, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive stuff. Thank you, Susan and Johnny, for that. You're welcome, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that sadly does bring us to the end of today's podcast. Today we've learnt about achieving greatness in Guinness, making the most of magnanimous moths, and that even tribal luminescence has a place on the building site. My thanks to our guest, Dr. Suze Kundu, whose science blogs are available to read on the Forbes magazine website. Do check them out, you will not be disappointed. I'm Mark Richardson, join us again soon for another episode of Just Enough Doctorate to Perform.